Welcome, my name is Stormy, I play Arashi, but currently welcome to the first episode of Discussions and Dragons. At least the one I'm in. And apparently you're the host now. Indeed. <laughs> oh, like Stormy's here. Channels. We have... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm Riley, I play Darius. I'm Chris, I play Galvin. And Chris is our media god. Praise be to him. The basic idea behind this sh this show is that we're just going to talk about our characters, uh, kind of share some fun hmm. stories that may not show up in the main campaign, uh, and and we have to, of course, remember that all of this is confidential within this show, so we can't use any of this information like our characters know this. Oh, yeah, I know, and if I ever catch anyone in metagaming? this discussion or outside the discussion metagaming, they will get a rock's fall. Yeah. Okay, so have either of you two thought of uh, any cool stories for your characters' pasts? Well, me and Chris already talked about my deity. So why don't you go, Riley? Okay. Uh, this may take a moment because I have it written down. Dude, discussions and dragons isn't supposed to be scripted. No, it's, it's, this is a story I, I told someone else a long time ago via text. Oh. He's like, trying to find the story. Or texting. It, 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 it's this. Uh, it's this conversation that made that inspired me to suggest the show. Oh, neat. Yeah, I, no, I think I think I only have like two actual like written like thought out stories for Galvin that that was passed. Besides that, it's really not much. Well, it's called discussions and dragons, and it's not strictly uh, locked into our characters. We could talk about future campaigns or ideas we want to spitball for campaigns in the future or what we should have done in the past okay so i only went back to this text message to uh to get ages because reading it like this would just be boring this was when darius was 18 almost 10 years before where we meet him in the main campaign uh his his younger sister asha who i didn't get to touch on much uh during the, the run of our campaign. I think I talked about her a little bit during session zero. No. Well, I think I talked during session zero. You well, you mentioned her. Yeah, yeah I, I talked was I, dropped, but it wasn't done much with it. And I think that was before we started recording, so uh he was eighteen, his sister was eight. Uh Asha was eight. Asha fly chaser. She she was eight. Uh and flacing chat flies. Chasing flies just as ever. <laughs> and uh it was her birthday. So he took her out into the woods, kind of like an off section of where their camp was, because Centaur Nomadic Tribe and all that. They they lived in camps that traveled. Uh and he started teaching her how to fight. And Dark. they're just using sticks. They're just using sticks, but uh, 
she kind of used a her long stick like a like a staff while he used it like a sword. Uh, and of course, the, the, he wasn't supposed to do this because uh, one, she was super young, and two, she had already showed potential for magic. Wait, hang on. Does that mean that the Centaur tribe segregates warriors and magic users? Uh, kind of. They're magicists. For, the <laughs> for the most part, they like their their mages to focus on healing and supporting the tribe and not wasting time learning how to fight. Uh, but Ooh. but Darius really really wanted to share this moment with his sister because it's a moment he shared with his father. Uh, and his father died before uh, she was really that much older. So he he wanted to give her like this experience that he had with his father. Uh, it doesn't exactly go too well though. Uh, like he he teaches her a lot of techniques, and she she actually picks it up really well. Uh, so they decide to do a full on spar. Who died? And during this spar. He hit her in the side of the head real hard. Uh and she she was knocked unconscious. And he he thought for sure he had killed her. Dun, dun. So, dun, dun. so he picked he picked her up, right? Which is real hard to do when she's a centaur and you're also a centaur. So how uh, does it work? Feels like picking a one up as a centaur is difficult, no matter what you are. Unless you're a giant beast, lift to lift a horse in real life. Now add a human weight on top of that. Well, she she's tiny, like she's pony sized, and he's he's like almost Still. fully grown at this point. Uh, although in the story I've written down, I refer to him as more more doe sized than deer sized. <laughs> that was the entire joke. Uh, Why is he that... instead of a deer? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because he's younger. Uh, but he uh, he he picks her up, kind of sling slings her unconscious body over his haunch, and he runs her back to the uh, to the elder of the camp, and they lock her away in a medical tent for like weeks which sucks because they're supposed to be moving during all this time and they can't move when they're grounded healing her so everyone's all like you really fucked up Darius and he thought for sure she was gonna hate him like be super mad that he fucking hurt her uh but when they let her out of the tent she hugged him said like all is forgiven and they I don't think they ever trained again like that, but uh, he did promise that nothing like that would ever happen to her again. Hmm. Also, I'm gonna say this from the like few interactions we've had with like centaurs that haven't been Asha or Darius, and from what you like talked about his tribe, centaurs just seem like a giant group of jerks. To be honest, they're just a bunch of dicks. Asha and Darius were the outliers, and even Darius was an ass. Anything involving Arashi's motivation would be a huge-ass spoiler. Well, I mean, we did workshop that one story that one time. So you, you could probably tell. 
Which story? We've workshopped a lot. Uh, how about the one when she was six in the church? I think she was six. Oh, yeah. yeah, seven. She's seven. older than I. Right. Uh. All right. I guess I can tell that one. Oh, did you mean now? Yeah. We're we're still recording, aren't we? Yes. Still a scribe here. Yeah, scribe is still in the chat. This is still discussions and dragons. All right. For those of you who don't know, a while back, me and Riley, the current DM. That's going to be edited out? Ah, fuck you, man. I, I feel like that can... You know what? I don't care. Well, I, that's going to be edited out because Stormy himself told me that he doesn't want us spoiling that I'm going to be the DM. But it gets spoiled around episode nine. All right, fine. I won't edit that out. I'll just edit out all the talk about editing it out. Anyway, go on. Um, it was... Ah, oh, shit. Lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, this entire uh, conversation. Yep. Alright, so Arashi's young. She was abandoned on Gratva and was taken in by a local church. However, they were pretty strict and locked all their books up. Riley, you probably have a better memory of it than me. I'm not going to lie. It's your character. <laughs> do, do you want me to tell this story? Because, honestly, I don't remember it that well. Oh, okay. This is why you need to write down stories occasionally. I, I, remember, I remember what happened to the church, specifically. I don't remember what happened to... Uh, like between you and the book and the deity and everything there. Hmm. All pertains to this story. Fuck. Alright. As I said, Arashi was young. She lived at a church. The church were just right stuck up bastards from Arashi's point of view. Probably a normal church for everyone else. Like Nick. Yep, no, Nick is pretty laid back in comparison. Yeah. Like, extremely. So much so like, that Arashi <laughs> drank with him. <laughs> Way too laid back. <laughs> yeah. Alright, so... They're stuck up. They don't like any knowledge outside of what they their deity teaches to be known. Meanwhile, we so, got a wizard to be staying at their church because she's an orphan. That didn't so sit well with her. It sounded like a regular church to me. Go on. <laughs> they took well, all the tomes of magic they found on Gratva and transferred them to their 
chapel off of the southeast on a small island. That, where that sounds about right. Pilgrimages, uh, pilgrimages to it for those wishing to learn about their deity. Motherfucker died again. Are you still playing video games? I, I am. <laughs> All right. Audible sigh. <laughs> and deleted. Go on. All right. Arashi eventually moved out of the chapel. But before that, she had to make her house off Longret. It was the shittiest shack you've ever seen. Take what a kid would make for a fort in the woods. And that's basically what she lived in for a while. I totally had a fort in the woods. It was shitty. Yeah. Hi. I've never had a fort in the woods. So never... <laughs> Seriously? I've moved 11 times. Remember that. I've never got a chance to make a fort in the woods. It's sad. Basically, a pine tree, a couple tarps, and a small area to burn things you weren't supposed to. My fort in the woods was just an old TV with a fucking wooden plank connecting it to another branch. Oh, I must have had better trees than you. Well, I just found an old TV in the woods next to a wooden plank. I was like, I can, I can work with this. <laughs> Alright, so better than your... Like a base camp, so to speak. It took about four years for her to set up Arashi. Okay. So, at the age of 11, she runs into a... She made friends with a boy named Kuro. However... That that's a story we can save for another day. Ah. We we can save encountering Kuro for another day. I would like Will to be around for that story. All right, saving that story before Arashi left the chapel, she started sneaking into the library, so to speak. It wasn't really easy. You needed a phylactery of the head priest's blood. In order to enter. I imagine she found some way to obtain that. Yeah, the head priest went missing. Jesus. (laughs) Are you implying... (laughs) She's kidding. Are you implying that an 11-year-old girl killed a high priestess? Or priest? She Jesus Christ. All right, just go on. George Chris. (laughs) She got the phylactery. It was very, very hard, like coarse. It looked rough as hell, made out of a hollowed out branch. I almost said log, but then. (laughs) Phylactery made out of a fucking log. I just Uh. imagine like, like a barrel. Just full of blood and guts. <laughs> yeah, that's no. from episode one of the uh, Thrilling Intent series, which I wholly endorse. 
haven't seen it. Uh, they find a drum and a creature next to it. The creature used to be an adventurer, and there was a demon in the log. In order for the demon to get out, he had to fill the log with uh, internal organs and all the squishy bits. I mean, if, if we're suggesting uh, D&D podcasts, which I think Throwing Intent is. It's actually a heavily animated podcast. Well, not really a podcast. It's a series. Animated. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm going to recommend uh, The Adventure Zone and uh, several animatics of Critical Role. Uh, <laughs> hey, check this out. I, I haven't actually sat down and listened to all of Critical Role. Anyway, continue with your story, Arashi. Alright, she had a holdout branch and a uh, some sort of cork. I don't know what it's made out of. Haven't thought that, thought about that. Either way, she has the phylactery, and she is able to go to and from the library. At first, she just started reading a book or two in there, hiding when someone came in to check it on daily routines. They're like, have you seen the priest around? And Rashi's just hiding between, like, two fucking bookshelves, like, oh, God. <laughs> After Rashi, yeah. I don't know what happened. <laughs> Arashi didn't. He went out, out for cigarettes one day. <laughs> Just oh. never came back. One of the nuns. <laughs> this isn't part of the backstory, but from what you guys just said, I pictured one of the nuns like, he left. He said he went out for a pack of cigarettes carrying a suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. Okay, go on. <laughs> back on story. <laughs> All right, back this to the story. This is much better than my shitty Darius story, by the way. <laughs> um, Rashi, in the in the beginning, just started going in there, staying in there, not wanting to be found out or known that books were be going missing. Started <laughs> reading. It started out with standard cantrips and old old stories of the church's deity. She eventually, though, started getting into the forbidden tomes, or standard magics, that the church had sealed away. This took, of course, over two weeks for her to go through all the cantrips. And she discarded the thaumaturgy books, kind of drew she drew dicks of the head priest sucking them in crayon in the thaumaturgy books. Oh, God. Hold on, do crayons exist? Yes, Apparently. they're made out of wax. Crayons exist, so if, cray right. if crayons exist, does that mean Crayola exists? No. <laughs> I'm just giving it as a point of reference. I mean, Ye I could Crayola? <laughs> Yield wax utensil doesn't really hit right. the same point. It's just made of her. It's just made of her earwax, not hers. <laughs> oh my god! The high priest, <laughs> maybe. Arashi, just finish the fucking story, please. <laughs> All right. So she went through the 
cantrips, and she learned Mage Hand from one of the other tomes. However, that tome was a grimoire, one of many that the church kept hidden. They don't know what's in them because grimoires tend to uh, lose any information after you read them. Mm-hmm. You know how grimoires work, right? Uh, I have a base understanding. There's a spell that a wizard or a priest inscribed into it, much like a scroll. However, the person never loses knowledge of the spell and can use it, but it will take mana or a mate or spell slot. The book becomes just paper. After she... All right. Back to the story. After Arashi realized she under... She knows Mage Hand and the book is empty. She panicked and uh, took all the books she could and left as a child do. Yeah. Sounds like a child. She thing. went to Longrut. Uh, God damn, I sound like a broken sentence. On her way to Longrut, Arashi kept reading. She didn't stop. She kind of just set up a sail and out of a robe. Okay. Arashi made a sail out of a robe she found at the chapel. And she makes her way to Longrut where she had set up her camp. As she was leaving, however, after the chapel was a good distance away and no one could stop her, she heard loud screams of the priests yelling, the books are missing, the books are missing! Why is there a dick in our lord's holy tome? She chuckled to herself as she left. After consuming all the knowledge in the books and using the most of the tomes that are now blank for kindling, she decided to start writing it herself. It was horrible. She couldn't read a damn thing she wrote. I I, I can relate to that. <laughs> However, she started hearing faint whispers from one of the tomes she stole. She didn't open it, because the priests and whatnot told her that sometimes you can get possessed. She and as we know, she learned to trust these priests completely. No, no, no. She just was cautious. She's young. I, 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 know, I know a guy who can advocate for possession. <laughs> After about 20 minutes of hearing the whispers, she decides to open it. Nothing happens. She feels something brush past her and leave. She gets disappointed. Damn, I was hoping I'd get possessed. She was fairly disappointed about that. <laughs> Three uh. months down the line, she gets found by a bunch of witch hunters. Terrified, stuck in stocks, and walked back to the chapel, she was interrogated tortured and uh, was scheduled to be burnt at a pyre 
Wow. Would that work? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's also, it's not that, a yeah, yeah. Not I told people. you. Yes, right now in the story, probably should have put this in the beginning. Arashi's human, but after this entire thing happens, she becomes a pseudo tiefling or a first generation. Extremely fucking powerful. But to, so she was once human, surprising. Mm-hmm. You you wouldn't think it, uh, given her actions. <laughs> uh, she is a hundred percent human. Just depends on what humans you've encountered. I mean, there's human, and then there's heartless. It sounds she's just heartless. <laughs> she was able to withstand the torture, the hot irons, and the constant chanting of the priestesses trying to convince her to give up her magic or evil abomination and witch ways and accept their god. Knowing her, that's probably the worst Stop. part. It was. She her, she started screaming at that point. Scream. Not the torture of high irons, but the uh, chanting. Ra- rather than screaming, I imagine her just kind of going like, Gah! You're not my real dad! <laughs> Shut <laughs> up, please! No, more like... It's not just a phase! She's trying to drown out the chance of brainwashing. Because churches tend to brainwash people. Well, if you're dumb enough to believe. Yep. Or if you actually believe. Yep. Go, go on. Either way, she's tied to the pyre and the witch hunters come out, accusing her of being the worst sort of devil, a witch and a murderer. The last part was true. For Dim- they priest. Brung out the priest claiming him a martyr for rutting out the villainy and evil wickedness of the witch. Set him in front. He's a cadaver at this point, but they using him like a holy medium. And they throw torches, igniting the pyre. Arash's clothes start to burn away and her feet start melting. Not surprised. At this point, the present presence that wished by her months ago comes back and asks what's going on. She yells out, Are you fucking stupid? I'm being burnt alive by dumbass cultists. Well, game burned alive. That's, she is incredible. However, no one else can hear the voice and they all start yelling, She's possessed! Burn her faster! A torch lands right on her head. She screams out in agony. Don't! Don't! (laughs) Fuck off. (laughs) It's gonna happen. Sorry. I just imagined, like, as the torch hits her, her head turns into Homer Simpsons. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck off, man. Alright. The spirit asks if she wants help, and she glares at him, biting her lips, spitting outwards, saying yes. But to everyone else, it's... This is where the fire fully engulfs her, 
and people think she's dead. There's almost nothing but ash. Afterwards, though, there... No, no, not afterwards. It was... After the fire dies down, and night starts to fall, when people are cleaning up the pyre ashes to dispose of, there's a huge beam of dark light. The center is dark light. Gray black, and the outside looks like like a black hole. You know how there's light around it, but nothing on the inside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That. Shoots up into the air, and the chapel kind of gets destroyed. Not so much in a. God damn it. This is the fucking parlay all over again. So if you're keeping track, that makes the church in Fandolin church number two that she's responsible for destroying. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man, spoilers. Yeah, we know of. Well, this is after that. This is most definitely airing after the first episode. (laughs) All right. Ah, fuck. Alright, before the dark beam, I'm backtracking. Her ashes are brought inside. And put in the, uh... Library. For containment. Library. And purification. The library should just be called the storage room at this point. At this point, Arashi starts to reform. However, before she can do it, the priestesses start chanting, and it stops. The tome that she opened appears floating above the ashes, and everyone starts flipping out. They start screaming, their eyes start bleeding black. Their bodies hit the floor like... And the bodies hit the floor. (laughs) Trying to come up with something. Have you guys ever dropped a sack of meat on the ground? Just hearing it go and then just I actually have that. No, I have not. And the the priestess's bodies that were overseeing the purification contort turn into a pretzel blobs not pretzels uh <laughs> twisted contorted mounds of flesh the flesh starts melting away and their bones stand upright now barbs and horns sticking out they turn to ash an altar gets made The book rests on the altar made out of the ash and the temple starts to shake. Or not the temple, the chapel shakes. All the doors are magically sealed and since no one in the chapel knows magic, only miracles, they're all locked and trapped in. Everyone in the temple starts to be burnt alive their skeletons being moved into the library and turned into an altar to hold the book. 
after all the bones have been assembled into the altar, Arashi is brought back alive. Well, reformed. She was alive to begin with. Yes, she was definitely alive as a pile of ash. Sentient. <laughs> she looks around, first in horror, and then she looks at the altar, mesmerized. She opens the book, and her human form turns into a tiefling. Yeah, that's about all I got right now. Anymore, and I'm just making shit up even worse. <laughs> to be honest, I feel like it's a good thing that not anyone else in the current group knows of Arashi's past, and I'm pretty sure they all not trust her. They would lose any shred of it they have. Uh, yeah. Galvin would probably try and kill her, I imagine. I can Let's agree with this. The number of times uh, he's threatened to do so. Yeah. I think Darius has only threatened her like once. Only once, surprisingly. And I think that was only in episode one. Yeah. Yeah. Gal Galvin's threatening Arashi a lot. Galvin would try to kill Arashi if he found out of this. The other character I've created that I'm not going to say what's for, because I don't want Riley to cut this out, would love this stuff, and would probably be best friends of Arashi, as best as he could be. I honestly don't get why people are so happy with churches, especially back then when they did shit like that. Because even though they were doing terrible, awful shit, they gave them answers to questions that nobody else could. Granted, most of the time it was bullshit, but, I mean, who, do who doesn't want an answer to what happens after you die? Bullshit better than the truth? Sometimes, yes. Yeah. However, Arashi is knowledge-based. Uh, Chris, do you, do, you have, do you have any stories about Galvin you might want to share? Yeah. I have, I have only one that's thought of, and, the more, and then the other one's more short stories. I'll save that one later. So, so, funny enough for Galvin, Galvin was actually raised as an orphan. His parents didn't want him. And so Galvin was raised in an orphanage for most of his life. Until a blacksmith in Neverwinter found him, whose name is John Hardbargain. <laughs> Hardbargain. <laughs> you can guess what he's known for. So, John. I mean, I was willing to let fair traders slide, but Hardbargain? <laughs> God damn. My backstory knows much. Well, go ahead. Keep going. So he, John found Galvin and he noticed he was for a kid, surprisingly strong, so he decided to take him as a apprentice because eventually he's going to need to get one. So he took Galvin in as his apprentice and taught him everything he knows which was not very much. Maybe just taught him how to be a really just terrible person and how to cheat people out of deals. So in Galvin's spare time of not learning how to cheat people in deals, he would actually t 
look out for other other ways to foraging, methods of foraging, people things we people would use. He would look at other blacksmiths and find out, and he'd actually forge his own stuff. Is is this where he learned his signature blacksmith mode that he's used a total of one time? No, Spoiler. that was the U.S. Machina. <laughs> the U.S. Machina that I got one time. Just keep telling the story. So, black, so uh, Galvin spent actually most of his experience we've learned from looking at our blacksmiths and looking out for books or something you find about methods of blacksmith. And the way Galvin actually got his shop was when he was a lot older, when he was be somewhat old enough to actually own something like that, was after was John Hardbargain had recently scammed a bandit who needed a new blade. As most as most bandits do, they're not the nicest people and John Hardbargain was actually killed. And with while a blunt Gal- blade. <laughs> yes. The authorities killed him and found that he was killed by a very blunt blade. And they found chips all over the place. <laughs> he was murdered by what appeared to be a very shittily forged sword. <laughs> and well, normally, you know, when people when people die in their apprentice and they die of a very unknown reason because, you know, the bandit's not going to stick around. They would usually suspect the apprentice. Well, everyone knows that hard bargaining is just a terrible person. So... They figured it was just a terrible customer that killed him, which they arise. And so that's when Galvin took over the shop. And Galvin spent his entire life actually turning it into the fair trader shop and giving it a better reputation than it had. Which that's actually how Galvin got his last name, Fair Trader. Was by everyone else calling him that. They called him a fair trader compared to the last owner. Well, compared. Doesn't mean Compared. he was. <laughs> well, he is. Galvin is a fair trader. He makes good. He is makes good blades, and he'll. He might, you know, you're not gonna sell them cheaply, but he's gonna sell you at a better price than Harbarney did, and they're a much better blade. He, he's gonna sell you a, a blade that is decently made at the cost of what the blade is. Yeah, he's not gonna sell you the cost of a really high quality blade for a blade that's the equivalent of a stiff. Well, Arashi kind of scammed you out of about 18 gold for a dagger that was worth 20. She paid you two. Yeah. And he got both of them. Yeah. Uh, is, is that all, Galvin? Yep, that's, that's Galvin's story. Besides the fact that later on, you later on get to be started getting robbed by, you know, a little elf. Who looks like what, like 10, 8? This is the end of the first episode of Discussions of Dragons. <laughs>